We lost an icon last week. The great Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Thoughts on that and the implications for the country moving forward on today's episode. Welcome back to Pop Into Politics, an unplanned episode 15 on my part. Uh, This is Kobe in New York. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening. If you like what you've been hearing, rate me and subscribe or follow on your favorite platform. So I had already did episode 14. Normally, obviously, I only released one episode a week with this podcast. But upon hearing uh, the news about RBG, I certainly, if you have a, a blog that's even remotely supposed to be about politics, there was no way I could not comment on this. So this is my first kind of special episode. And if anyone deserves a special episode, it would be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So yeah, what to say. I try to, with this podcast, to talk about politics and history, ideally in an engaging or fun way. I I feel like it's hard to do that with some of the things that are going on in the news here lately. We've also officially crossed the 200,000 COVID death mark here. So when I recorded episode 14 about the election and kind of how that would work, uh, we weren't quite there yet, but we now are officially beyond that threshold. So I feel like I need to acknowledge that as well. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Woo! This is a fun episode, people. Fun episode, people. But I would love to be able to just talk more about RBG and how important she was as a jurist and just what a big loss this is kind of for the country and certain values and rights and things that she has fought for and espoused all her life. But unfortunately, we have to gear up for a political fight. We're not even going to have a moment to really reflect on just RBG herself. On the same day that we learned that she has passed, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has already informed everyone that we're going to go ahead and move forward with having a vote on the floor of the Senate before an election to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Which, of course, for anyone who's been following the news, not just today, but just over the last couple of years, this is like the height of hypocrisy. There's about 45 days or so left to the election, the November election, and going by what we did in 2016, then we certainly should not be trying to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. If we think about what happened in 2016 with Merrick Garland, when there was well over 200 days for President Obama to at least get a hearing on Merrick Garland, to at least have the Senate advise and consent one way or the other, vote up or down, they weren't even willing to do that. Just in keeping the arguments together, what Mitch McConnell would have us believe is that this is different because in 2016, Obama was a lame duck president and that there was a Republican House and Senate to check him. And so that's why he should not have been allowed to put someone on on the bench. In this case, in McConnell's Alice in Wonderland sort of view of the world with his hypocrisy, Trump has a Republican, a Republican Senate. I guess he's not a lame duck president necessarily. And so uh, this is this is different. This is different. We're supposed to believe that this is different. One thing that I want to make clear, just kind of like why I do this podcast is just for people to understand just kind of like the facts. So 
There is nothing in the Constitution, one way or the other, about the president not being able to nominate uh, a Supreme Court justice based on the date, whether that be 200 days (laughs) from an election or 45 days from an election. That's not in the Constitution anywhere. So I will say Donald Trump is certainly within his right to go ahead and nominate a justice to the court. What people are upset about and why this is so enraging for everyone, or for people who are at least honest, is the fact that this is not what has taken place with the last president, and that there are norms that we have. And so should Donald Trump be nominating someone 45 days away from an election? So I guess this is a great time to remind everyone that elections have consequences, all elections, federal, state, local, and politics is power. You hope that the people who are yielding that power, that they use it responsibly, the people we've elected, that they do some things for the greater good, if not all things, but look, these are politicians we're talking about, so let's hope they are doing some things for the greater good, at least some. But at the end of the day, politics is power. And what we're witnessing with McConnell and how he has used the Senate It's about pure, naked, unabashed power. That is it. And so norms be damned. Yes, in 2016, they didn't let Barack Obama put uh, his selection up for consideration. They don't care. They have no shame. They do not care. And it is technically like there's nothing in the Constitution that says they cannot do this. And so they are going to move forward. We should all be prepared that they're going to move forward with it. And we should also even be prepared that they might be successful in this. And then what are our next steps? So, you know, people have been asking, my phone was blowing up. People are asking, okay, well, what can Democrats do? My initial reaction and thought is there's not much that they can do currently because they are not in power, that the the Senate is in Republican control. There are certain things, certain threats, certain procedural changes that they can threaten to make in the event that they do uh, have power in the Senate once again. So, Some of these things are, which people are threatening, is to completely get rid of the filibuster related to all Senate business. So the rule that you need a 60 vote majority, which generally the idea of that is then you build some sort of consensus around legislation because you have to get votes from the other party because normally there's not 60 Democrats sitting in the Senate or 60 Republicans does happen, but that's not generally uh, how the body is set up. So you can threaten to get rid of that rule. The other thing, of course, there are people who are saying it's time to have more than nine Supreme Court justices. If you think about why people are reacting this way about the death of this one remarkable woman is because of how much power one individual in their vote on the Supreme Court has, as well as how long people end up being on the court. So if Ruth Bader Ginsburg was picked early on within the Clinton administration, I mean, she's been on the court for well over 20 years. So yes, I mean, that's why people are reacting this way. And so the answer is, okay, well, maybe we need to go ahead and put more justices on the court, which... If the Democrats were to take back the Senate, if Joe Biden were to actually become president of the United States, that could be changed because the number of seats or the number of Supreme Court justices is not set in the Constitution, is not spelled out. So Congress addresses that. In the country's history, we've actually not always had nine justices. That number has fluctuated historically. However, we've had nine justices since the Judiciary Act of 1869. So... We have not fiddled with that number in quite some time. 
my own personal thoughts on this is going back to what I said earlier about power is that, look, we have a Republican Party currently, it might not always be this way, but currently is only interested in power. It would be nice if they were not. I hope that one day that changes. The Democrats, not that they're not interested in power, but they are interested in governing, policy, some respect for institutional norms. And so if the Republicans are playing by one set of rules and the Democrats are playing by another, then the Democrats are probably always going to lose these sorts of fights. Personally, I I believe in these institutions. I believe in the way our system of government is supposed to work. And so my immediate reaction when I hear about things, about chipping away at the filibuster even more than the Senate has already done within their roles. So for instance, you used to have to get 60 votes to become a senator, but we've removed that filibuster. That's how Brett Kavanaugh ended up on the court in the first place. Just as an example, he wouldn't have had enough votes in the past. And so to be put on the bench. And so McConnell would have needed to have received more Democratic support for a position as as important as a Supreme Court. But again, we've gotten rid of that. So when I hear people talking about, well, the answer to this is to put more judges, let's change the law, let's put more judges on the bench. Part of me looks at what the Republicans have been doing, and I think, well, that's the only kind of course of action that we have. But again, that's assuming that Democrats were actually to win the Senate and that Joe Biden actually becomes president and the Democrats keep the House. And so thinking about, again, what we can do, we would need to vote in mass to ensure that that occurs. And people need to understand that the fight doesn't stop, of course, with just RBG passing. And another reason why people should vote. When I first started this podcast, my very first episode, one of the reasons I listed, there were five, about people voting for Joe Biden was the court. Now, that was, of course, me just thinking and hoping that someone like RBG would be able to, this sounds terrible, but to make it into a future presidential term with Joe Biden being able to pick her. But now that that has not worked out and thinking about longer term plans, you still would need Joe Biden to be president and he would still need to be able to have some sort of democratic apparatus around him to pass that bill, to actually change that. If we don't take back the Senate, if we don't keep the House, then that doesn't happen anyway. But yes, I mean, they could change the Judiciary Act of 1869 and they could certainly tell Mitch McConnell right now, if you do this in the future, you won't always be in power. And so we'll get rid of all these rules. So when you're in the minority, you have less of a say. The other thing that I will say they can do, as usual, the great thing about the 21st century, 20th century, is that you can always find the things that people have said. You can go back and look on television and look things up and see what people have actually said. And so to that end, Senator Grassley of Iowa, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey, Lindsey, can I do my best Lindsey with my mojito, my mojito on my mint julep on the porch in South Carolina, Senator Graham, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and Susan Collins. Susan Collins in Maine, who is behind, woefully behind in her current Senate race. All these people, not so long ago, and the not so distant past, all of these people have said that you do not fill Supreme Court seats in an election, this close to an election. They've all said that not so long ago. As a matter of fact, Murkowski and Collins, I think, were asked about it maybe a month or two ago. So the other play, but this is a political play that would have to happen now, is that the Democrats would need to put 
extreme pressure, maximum pressure on these senators. So vulnerable senators like Susan Collins, who's up for re-election and is, looks like she's going to lose that race in Maine. It looks like her constituents are upset that she allowed Brett Kavanaugh to be put on, on the court and just her, her weaselly flip-flopping, just being weak and not standing up to the president. That looks like that's hurting her in Maine. If she rams something like this through and goes along with McConnell, that could just seal her fate in Maine. So the Democrats can begin to apply pressure on specific senators. Lisa Murkowski, who's not up for re-election in Alaska, but is, I'm going to say, a reasonable Republican senator. She did not vote for Brett Kavanaugh, actually, and who seems like she has a bit of her spine left to call her out. We have you on tape. We have you in the paper. You said that this is not what we're going to do. We should be running ads against someone like Collins using their words. So Lindsey Graham is in charge of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate now. And so this, of course, is going to come. McConnell, as a Senate Majority Leader, is saying he's going to hold the vote. But Graham is in charge of the Judiciary Committee. And so, again, there's tons of tape. Just roll the footage of Lindsey Graham talking about what should happen. What should happen if you have a, I'm doing a very bad Lindsey Graham, what should happen in an instant like this? And it is not to replace the Supreme Court justice, it's to wait for the next president. So, and then someone like Grassley, who the Crypt Keeper man's Oof, man, looks like Lord Jesus. But Grassley has also said this is not something that we should be doing. So I'm pointing out those four senators. You also have someone like Mitt Romney, who seems like he is somewhat interested in the institution, how the Senate is supposed to work, our norms, our traditions. So if the Democrats go ahead and, all right, we're going to change the amount of justices we have now, or if we get power in, in 2021, in the next Congress, okay, well then what stops the next Republicans when they get power again? And we're just back and forth in this cycle. So ideally, this kind of trench warfare style politics, I don't think is good for our republic or good for our democracy, but at certain times it feels like we have no choice. So in terms of what can be done, again, in the future, next year, if there's power, they can change that act. Yes, they could go ahead and attempt to change the act to basically put more people on the court to maybe balance it out more and get rid of the filibuster on all kind of issues in the Senate. I will say in terms of how our Republic was designed to work and to function, and it's not working that way. So, <laughs> Kobe, shut up. That's not, it's not working the way it's designed, but that basically just makes the Senate another form of the House of Representatives. So it's then just purely political. No one is looking out for the long-term, just strategic interest for the country. But everything is unfortunately politicized to a point that really is dangerous and detrimental to, to all of us, actually, as a republic. The other kind of interesting thing that I don't really want to think about, but people should be thinking about, is so the Supreme Court the next session starts in October. And so if there's any tie votes on anything, right now they're 4-4. The best hope would be that the Chief Justice, John Roberts, who at times has seemed to have moderated on certain matters during the Trump era. John Roberts is a Bush appointee, George W. Bush appointee, but it was his vote that kind of, that upheld Obamacare. For example, there have been some other things where Roberts has seemed to have moved a bit as more conservative people, so like a Kavanaugh or a Gorsuch, have been added to the court, or someone like Samuel Alito, who's on the court, who clearly is more conservative than Roberts. And then, of course, ugh, Clarence Thomas, we couldn't, I, I feel icky, I feel icky even mentioning Thomas in 
in an RBG-named episode, but I mustn't mention Thomas. But I say all that to say that the 4-4 tie, we have all of these legal fights that are brewing about the election that are already dilating in the lower courts. Some have already made it to the Supreme Court, different kind of stays. If the tie remains 4-4, if you, so if you're thinking if we ended up in a 2000 Bush v. Gore situation, which seems like that is possible with everything the president has been saying and doing. And again, I, and that was the whole point of my planned episode, episode 14 for Monday. That could either be a good or a bad thing that whatever lower court decision is made would stand. But that's going to depend on the jurisdiction of where that particular case is brought. So that'll be interesting to to watch. So if we don't fill roof seat, uh, there is that variable. And so <laughs> going back to episode 14 and the majority of the episodes actually since I've started this podcast, the the most helpful thing that can be done and it's even more important now is that everyone vote. So vote.org nbcnews.com slash plan your vote. And that ideally, if you don't like what's going on, if you think that people are playing dirty, um, speaking of McConnell, then we need to vote these people out. There needs to be a massive turnout for Joe Biden, especially in, in a lot of these battleground states, but a massive turnout where it is clear that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won the election because the more clarity we have with the vote, the less likelihood that you have ridiculous court cases that can't be decided or that have any ambiguity for the courts to have to decide. And so all of this stuff is interconnected. So it's like we've got to vote on some level. People might be upset about me saying this right now, but we're in this boat where Donald Trump can have an opportunity to have three appointees placed on the court uh, because enough people didn't vote for Hillary Clinton the way they should have. If we're having conversations with our friends and family and people are saying, well, why, why does this matter? Look, if you're interested in reproductive rights for women, women's rights to privacy, which is actually is the way I would frame <laughs> reproductive matters, um, your individual right to privacy, then you need to care who's on the court because there is a concerted effort to roll those things back, starting with Roe. Everyone always talks about Roe, but Roe comes out of a series of cases before that, um, before 1973 when Roe was decided. There are people who won't stop at Roe. There are people out there who do not believe women have a right to contraception. That That's just kind of the history of that. If you're a person of color and you're interested in fair voting, ensuring that the vote is fair, gerrymandering, all these things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg defended. It's on the ballot. Our voting and who we vote for correlates to what our courts look like. The other thing, too, that is not talked about enough is kind of this move of, you know, that corporations have rights that are not enshrined in the Constitution, that the founders would have never, the idea that corporations are people and have speech, for instance, and our money in politics. I mean, these cases, there is a divide from a justice like Ginsburg or a justice like Elena Kagan to someone like Clarence Thomas or Samuel Alito. And so, look, these things matter. Voting rights matters. Women's reproductive rights. And again, the ability for them to make those decisions on their own. I mean, these people, these nine people, or now eight, are incredibly important in the way that the system is currently set up. And of course, the other thing that people 
Again, I was so disheartened to learn that she passed. But I think the other thing that people forget is that there is an entire federal judiciary. And even after this particular fight, there will be other judges in the appeals courts around the country that the president and the Senate get to pick. And there will be other judges who retire. We do not want Donald Trump to continue to impact the judiciary the way he is by being in power. So I hope that everyone understands that. And while we're sad and a level of despair, I mean, 2020 just blows. <laughs> it really does. And not in a good way. But we, yeah, we have to keep up the fight and understand that there's going to be this election matters. There will be more fights after this election. And the fight is not even just about this one particular seat. Thinking about history, and I don't know why things work out this way, or at least in the modern era have been working out this way. But look, Mitch McConnell made sure that Antonin Scalia's seat was protected. I just did air quotes. We shouldn't even really be talking about this in this way. If McConnell had have allowed Garland to have a vote, that was the proper, the norms, and what the Constitution would have called for. How this should work is Barack Obama should have gotten Merrick Garland to be put on the court. And I would argue that Donald Trump, if he's the president, which he is at the moment, then he should be able to get his pick. But because McConnell has perverted this <laughs> this system, we have to kind of strategize and talk like this. But that's not even where we're supposed to be as a country. But I was going to say, from just a current historical precedent, I don't know why it's working out this way, but Thurgood Marshall, the crime of Thurgood Marshall being replaced by Clarence Thomas is decades ago, but the impact, if you think about someone like Marshall fighting or arguing Brown versus Board in front of the Supreme Court in 1954, that's the type of person who Thurgood Marshall is. Clarence Thomas is a black man on the court, uh, a conservative who doesn't seem to believe in, in equal rights for anybody or that the Constitution affords that. I guess that that would be the legal maybe way to talk about that. Someone who doesn't believe in any sort of affirmative action, anything, is like, oh, what an insult to Thurgood Marshall. Thinking about RBG and what she stands for, it will be quite an insult for her to be replaced by some overly conservative uh, person who has, you know, such a narrow view, limited view of the Constitution. So I hope that it doesn't happen, but my gut tells me that this is something that the Republicans have wanted to control the court for generations, and they have that opportunity now. And so I, I think it's going to be a really, really uphill fight and battle, I should say, to stop them. But we shall see. But just moving forward, if the Democrats are going to have any power, even if they do kind of decide, look, we're going to blow up the norm and we're going to change the number of seats, we're going to remove the filibusters if we are in power in 2021. So don't do this, McConnell. That threat in itself only works if we actually back the Democratic leadership up, if you will, and come out in mass and vote so that they actually can do that. And I don't know, I'm not terribly optimistic that that will happen. One thing I also cannot forget to mention is that the issue of the courts has been such a conservative, Republican motivating factor in terms of voting. 
And again, you can't begrudge them that they understand the importance of, of how this affects the rest of our system. And again, people have been motivated about abortion rights or when it comes to the ACA, the, the Affordable Care Act, not, you know, wanting that to be changed. And also, of course, there is the business aspect of that too, where it's like, I think there are people who don't like that, that there's a law that the insurance companies have to cover people if they have pre-existing conditions. There are people from a corporate angle don't like that sort of move or ruling in the court. Don't let people make you think otherwise. But I say that to say that we're going into an election year. And so RBG's death also, who knows how this is going to change people's uh, calculus. So ideally, it will motivate our side to vote and to come out in the event that Trump does not replace her. This now is not allowed to replace her before the election. This could also be a motivating factor for some people on his side, or maybe people who've been wavering about Trump, because there's that whole thing here that there's a group of people who, look, they don't like Trump. They know that Trump's an immoral monster and disaster, but he's accomplishing this long-term conservative goal of remaking America's courts, and so we will hold our nose and stick by him. This whole thing between now to November 3rd and even after really is going to have uh, ramifications across our entire political life, the, the whole spectrum. So the the next couple of weeks um, uh, are going to be even more interesting and more politically fraught than they were uh, before, if that is even possible to fathom. So the people have to understand that too, that like our side, we need to care about the courts just as much as Republicans and conservatives have for decades. And again, and to continue to care about it long after whether her seat is filled or not filled, or like however it ends, ends up working out, it's not just about this particular seat. And people have to remember something can happen to Elena Kagan tomorrow. Something can happen to Sonia Sotomayor. Something can happen to, you know, Scalia or Thomas. I mean, something can happen to any of them. Who we elect, the person who gets the power to make these picks and the senators, I mean, we have to understand the whole system and why voting and participating in the system kind of year round consistently is really important. So that, that also has to be stated. So with that, may Ruth Bader Ginsburg rest in power. Really, really sad and scary. Again, if you're interested in reproductive rights, the environment, voting, the Voting Rights Act and how that affects, you know, people of color and how the court and the Senate are kind of overturning those things. Or if you're the Senate, not addressing any legislation to fix certain things. This is a court that in Wisconsin, if anyone remembers that case from earlier in the year, sided with the Republican legislature to not allow any voting changes in the middle of a pandemic. It was RBG who wrote a, a blistering dissent. So again, losing her vote, losing her voice, so many different examples I can think of, but it's a sad day. But I think that this should inspire all of us to to continue to push on and to understand the stakes in this 2020 election. So this was my special unplanned episode. I was not expecting to have to do an episode like this, but here we are. So as I said in episode 14, next week, I am super excited to talk to my friend and a Pennsylvania voter and the rural part of the the state to kind of see what's going on there and what she's hearing. And hopefully it will be a more uplifted and fun conversation <laughs> than the last two episodes. But I thought they both were really important. So I thank everyone for listening. Stay safe and stay well.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back every Monday with new episodes. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe or follow me. You can find me on Apple, Spotify, Google, Alexa, wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. You can also follow my Instagram at Pop Into Politics. Until next time, sending good vibes and well wishes to you all. Thanks for listening. Thank you.